This show is about spoilers and discussion. It's also about spooky things that are best enjoyed after you see the movie. So any movie we talk about, we recommend you go see. You've been warned. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. What an excellent day for an exorcism. Horror. There is no shortage of monsters to haunt our dreams. Horror. You got red on you. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of Oh the Horror, a podcast where we take a look at classic and modern horror films from an expert and a newcomer's perspective. I'm the expert Rob Holmes. And I'm the newcomer Steve Allman. And today we are taking a look at the brand new 2018 Halloween directed by David Gordon Green. Rob, I think this might be the fulfillment of the entire premise of our show to the fullest. Uh, we, yeah. we are a show that looks at horror movies from an expert and a newcomer's perspective. And I am probably the most newcomer uh, I have ever been <laughs> when it comes to uh, this movie and to this uh, franchise, this iconic horror franchise. Uh, I have not seen a single Halloween movie Apart from this one, this is the first Halloween movie that I've actually seen, uh, and th- so it, it's a it's an interesting thing. So you seeing all of them, uh, uh, me only having seen this, yeah. It's uh, this will be very interesting because I'm actually I was actually looking forward to this kind of experiment of me having only seen this, uh, and then culturally osmosis uh, understanding what the Halloween franchise is. Uh, I'm looking forward to this. Uh, so I think we could probably start it off with uh, this movie has been kind of met with a bit of like somewhat mixed reviews, but also garnered quite a bit of positive reviews. Uh, what did you immediately think of this movie? Yeah, I, I'm i still trying to get over the fact that you have never seen a Halloween film. This is going to be a good one. I loved it, man. I had a great time with this film. I thought it was a worthy successor to the original with the four decades has come a new level of brutality with Michael Myers, it seems. Um, we went from we went from a body count of five in the original to like a body count of like 19 or 20 in this. It is very, it's a very heavy body count. Not everything happens on screen, and I don't think it's necessary for it to because you usually see uh, some of the remains afterwards. And it is absolutely... Uh, vicious. Uh, there's a lot of one takes or one, you know, the one shots in this where we kind of follow someone around a bit. Um, we kind of follow Michael. He goes off camera. We follow a person in a house. We see Michael come in and then like commit a murder, leave a house, go to another house and then do it again in a, in a different fashion with the way the camera is set up. So, there's so much going on in this film and it's very, it's very dynamic. I really think it was, um, you know, a good mixture of working with John Carpenter, taking someone like Danny McBride and David Gordon Green and bringing them in for this to create the screenplay and then have David Gordon Green direct it. These are normally not the people you would think would be involved with John Carpenter or with Blumhouse making this type of film. But I think the fact they've done a lot of comedy and some drama stuff really works for this movie because it is very it's very very dark 
it's very, very twisted, but there are moments where I find myself kind of chuckling or laughing, but it's in like a very macabre way. You know, it's very gallows humor. And I, th- I think that worked for this because, you know, when you take some of these directors who have this, they've only done horror, they haven't done other stuff, they go extremely vicious, but there isn't... There's Nuance, a lot of, you might say? Yeah, there's, you know, it's like this is a blend of style and substance. And a lot of the time it's usually style, 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 and no substance. I think that's the best way to, to put it. And I think the fact that they've worked in different fields and, and have a comedy background you know, a deep respect for the horror genre and then working with uh, horror experts and horror masters, uh, that's why this worked so well. And Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, like, holy shit, like, she wanted to be in this film. Uh, Apparently Jake Gyllenhaal had to, like, get her off the side of a mountain or something like that. There's some story about how he, like, tracked her down because she has some house somewhere and was like, you got to do this film. And she actually wanted to do it. This this wasn't her paycheck film, how H two O was. So it's uh, so it's interesting. I um I'd be inclined to agree to agree with you only to a degree. Um and this and this and like you said that this would be a lot of personal preference. Uh, I I welcomed the idea of this experiment for me having only seen this film because I kind of wanted to uh, like a lot of the hook of this movie is that it wipes away uh, the mythology of pretty much every sequel that Halloween ever had except for the very first film uh, Correct. and the very yes. first film uh, very simple in its premise uh, Michael Myers just a seemingly random uh, serial killer invades this small town in Illinois and mm, no, that's no not, mur- that's definitely not it a child who murders his sister and we see this in the beginning We follow him in an institution later on, and it's been 16 years later. So yes, at that point, he is an adult, and he is going back to kill his his sister and anybody else who gets in his way on Halloween night. I think it it worked really well because it brought a new dimension to it as far as your your traditional horror film. And this, this film mirrors it, but not in a way that feels cheap. Oh man, I wish you had seen the first Halloween because this make this follows up really well to it, and it pays it pays homage to other films that have come after it, without saying that it is in that sequel realm. Because in the mythos, Laurie is Michael's sister, but and also was, that's stripped away in this movie. And it is, and it is actually like they call it out. But you know, I've talked to a few people who saw this opening night, and they're like, "Yeah, man, it follows the second film, like right after the hospital." And I'm like, "No, it doesn't." They're like, no, man, it totally does. And I'm like, I guarantee you it does not. Well, we just saw it. And I'm like, well, you were not watching the film. And then I saw it. And I'm like, nope, clear as day that it, it it's just after the first film. There's nothing involved in the second film. They call that out. Yeah. So here's the, th- here's the thing why I actually liked not be- having seen the first one. Because, again, it, wi- it wants to wipe away a lot of what happened before in order to make a clean slate for something new. And to boil down a story to make it more simple, because a lot of the horror, the Halloween mythos, pretty bogged down. So, which would arrive me to the first problem that I would have with this movie, where it doesn't seem to know how important to make Michael Myers. Uh, obviously, the idea of Michael Myers, an iconic figure in horror films, this like deranged, troubled child that murdered his sister when he was a child, and then seemingly took it back out 16 years later. Now in his late 60s back to finish a job or 
you know, answer a calling. Uh, we, mm -hmm. we begin the movie with these uh, podcasters or journalists that want to uh, in yeah. take a look at Michael Myers' case. Uh, which is a bit of an interesting case to like sort of bring people up to speed as to what would have actually happened back then. And they seem to build up Michael Myers to be this thing that its fans have built it up, him up as, as this horror slasher murder icon. They bring the mask to him as if to say that, oh, this is a part of you. It calls to you. Well, okay, does this really call? If you're wiping away everything that seemingly came to this, uh, are we really going to act like, th like that these yahoos who just read about his case just like happened to know exactly the importance of this mask and yeah, everything but it's, that it's, came with it? I mean, in basic serial killer, I guess, psychology, they say, you know, if a serial killer wears a mask, there's some sort of importance to it. So they're basically just taking stuff... I mean, they're probably fluffing it up because it, it helps the ratings for their podcast. There's really a lot of ways that you could uh, twist and turn that. I think it was a dumb move. I mean, in basic film logic, like, don't do something stupid. Right, like, which is just a ploy to get the mask in play so that, like, when Michael Myers kills them, oh, he has the mask. I'll put on the mask now, which, like, is a, is a fair conceit. Like, I like the design of the mask. I like the design of the old Michael Myers, where the, the mask is just worn and tattered and old. Uh, it's a very interesting look. But then once we get to talking to, like, the uh, interviewers are talking to uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, she immediately shuts them out. Like, there's nothing to boil down. There's no, there's no important rhyme or reason as to why he kills. He's a deranged killer. He's just evil. That's all he is. And I think that, I mean, that was the original idea of, of the film was of the right. original and movie was that it, it is no rhyme or reason. Sometimes the, he's the boogeyman, you know, he just kills and it, well, I mean, he has a motive in the first one we find out, but you know, in this one, he still has, has this motive and this insane fixation. Mm -hmm. And while, and the, and the movie seems to be at odds with which one it wants to explore, at least in terms with Michael, like, okay, so is he just this, force of nature that wants to kill and needs to be stopped but is seemingly unstoppable or is he a more established character with a motive and a drive because the reason that his doctor wants to explore all that is because he thinks that to be true whereas everybody else is just like this is evil we gotta st he's he's jaws but he's a person you know well and so so in the original dr loomis who was played by donald pleasance uh the late donald pleasance um you know, he, he worked with Michael for years from being a child up until he escaped the first time. At the end of it, he tried to find a human in there somewhere, but by the end, all he found was pure evil. And that was it. Evil, plain and simple. So that's why, you know, going and knowing in the beginning that he is just the personification of evil, that is it. Uh, there's nothing, uh, there's no humanity left in this person. So that's why I think it I think it works in this because it's it's been it's been established in in the first one that that's just what he who and what he is. Mm -hmm. But again, but for the sake of us like coming back to Jamie Lee Curtis, who by the way is magnificent in this. Oh, she's so I good in this, man. She's so 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 good. Like it n wasted not a not a second of screen time. But um, we we actually this movie really introduces some very interesting ideas in its first act that. Um, 
I really kind of wish it capitalized more so on in its later acts because we have a very great dynamic of uh, bringing forward the idea of like, okay, so Laurie Strode was an unfit mother to her daughter because of the trauma that Michael Myers enacted on her when she tried, when she survived, she then raised her daughter to be a paranoid, uh, like militant, uh, doomsday prepping child and then was taken away from her and was deemed crazy, but then her granddaughter uh, seemingly just wants to reach out to her, so is meeting her on the sly and uh, just like trying to get an idea of you know what this relationship with this family member is like. And I really, really like that. And it seems to boil down to a lack of trust with a daughter that is not as well established, but again, we can't really count for it for much because again, we're wiping the slate from one on. Uh, it's an interesting sort of premise that I don't think is capitalized by the end of it, but I think the use of her granddaughter, very, very good. I think it's a very sort of good vessel for a sort of new era of Strode. Like, not victim, but certainly a uh, uh, an- another player in this game. Uh, and then yeah, we bring... absolutely. Th- and, th- and then it brings us to the later aspects of where uh, the... Uh, where the, where the bus crashes and we have these uh, very, <laughs> very apparent tells that uh, the doctor is clearly in on it. Like, I don't know how, how obvious that was when you saw it, but I'm like, okay, yeah, the doctor broke him out because he's obsessed with Michael. And well, when he was killed. like, That's I have to be on the bus. I have to see this through. I'm like, oh, Jesus, dude. Why are you doing this? But it's good, but you know, so so in this also, is also why are we a nod. transferring. Why are we transferring Michael Myers? He's been here for forty years. What are we? That, that's what I mean, better kind to of, do? I mean, they mention it, you know, and it's it's one of those things where it's to get him there. I think honestly, this doctor did it so they could stage the breakout, so he could finish what he wanted him to start, or no, no, he could finish what he had already started. Um, and he wanted him to start it up again. So I think that's where the doc, the doctor's insane, man. Like he made this his life's work. So I think that was an interesting, well, and it also pays. So it's also a nod to, uh, Halloween four and five, you know, in this one and in all the films, Michael Myers is always credited as the shape. That's just what he is. He's the shape, the shape of evil, essentially, you know, he had a keeper. There was someone who was always watching over Michael or his, you know, this man, uh, the man in black, essentially, who was like dressed up in this long trench coat and stuff in four and five. There was this weird subplot. It kind of tied into six and this strange cult. But, you know, it's, it's interesting to see them pay homage to that in this way, very subtly. Uh, but, but it was cool. And it's like, oh, there's this evil doctor. You think he's going to be a big part of it and it's going to keep going. And you're like, oh God, how long is this going to end head crush? Uh, probably the most violent scene in this movie. I can't believe oh, yeah. they and got awesome away with this. Too. Oh dude, the effects, the kills in this. I mean, dude, that hack-a-lantern with that cop's head, just like, you oh, know, carved good. in so good. Um, mm-hmm. the amount of his stabbings, like, this movie is brutal, and even in some of the kills that you don't really see, the way that they're done, the way that he moves, the way that there's no... I mean, he even kills a kid, man. Like, no 
but not the baby. But not the not baby. the baby. That was the thing. He has no problem killing a kid, you know, right in front of you on camera. Most of the time, they will they'll cut away from that. I mean, he's in a car, so it's a little obscured. But they're they pull no punches in this. And then he walks, and the whole thing is you have that dread of you hear the baby crying. He's just murdered this woman. He's walking through the house, and you're just like, oh no, he's walking towards the baby oh, what's he going to do? And he walks towards the crib and you're expecting something to happen and no hesitation. He doesn't stay and look at the baby. He just walks right out of the house and you're just like, all right. Well, he, and he, he, it's almost like he's actively like, no. And then he like goes off. Yeah. Uh, but it, like, I'll, it's I'll just, get more it's, in- it's a very tense moment. Like this movie, this movie definitely ratchets, it, it, it ratchets the tension up and it has some jump scares. They're Fair fun jump so, scares yeah. though. And I feel like they're earned in this. I would say so. I I, w- I would like to get to a few things that I do like because I think yeah. my general problem with this movie is something that just happens overall with tone. Um, I I think I think there's a lot of great acting moments. Uh, mainly number one, I think. Okay, I'm gonna rank the sort of acting hierarchy of this movie. Number one, Jamie Lee Curtis. Number two, that kid that that do- that that girl babysat. Dude, was I was gonna hilarious. say that too. That Ju- kid, kid is like the Julian, second best thing he- about this movie. It was it was amazing. It was, was so funny. The banter that he had with the babysitter, it was the best moment. And then even just the whole attack, like when you know the door closed scene uh, that we see in the trailer. When we actually <laughs> see the whole scene, it's like wow, okay, this is really good. It didn't really spoil that much. Um, yeah. And, but his reaction to all of this is absolutely amazing. Um, and then, you know, send your boyfriend, the, don't go up there, send him. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so and then he's good. just clipping his toenails and you're like, what any comments on clipping his toenails? It's like, what you're letting me stay up as late as I want, clipping my toenails and stuff. <laughs> and you know, while you and your boyfriend are going to smoke pot and she's like, no, that's not what it is. It's magic tricks. I know it's not magic tricks. Like that kid's like, amazing. man. Yeah. Oh, that's it, too that, good. I mean, I really, it really just kid. makes, it definitely makes the film, uh, it adds that moment of levity into it that, you know, is very, very enjoyable. And there's some moments, you know, there's a lot of good banter in this. There's a lot of good conversational dialogue in this film that I really, really enjoy. I liked when the two cops are talking about, he's like, hey, I made you this bond me thing. And it's it's, pe- it's peanut butter and jelly bond me. And he's like, no, nah, it's cool, man. I made my own dinner. And it's like a brownie and like some pudding or something sitting on the other side. And he's like, what are you five? Like there's just these really real moments between people that I liked. Right. And those moments of levity while good uh, are like, like there's, they're like a couple of them are like adequate. And then like, I think the better parts are when it's immediately juxtaposed with some tension only to just like have that like muscle, like expect and contract. Or expand and contract, um, but I think the uh, another like great sort of uh, uh, kind of cornerstone of this movie. We haven't even talked about this music. We have not talked about the soundtrack of this movie. John Carpenter's back man. composing. Yeah, the sound. Honestly, the soundtrack to me is the best part of this movie. It's amazing. Not only do we have original riffs from the original Halloween, but great, great licks and remixes and like. Uh, recuts of like 80s synth and like 
we have the original Halloween theme played against different types of things. Like when the, the when the uh, when that backyard kill when he was impaled on the fence when she yeah, oh, sees that for the yeah. first time, and then it's cued with like dun dun dun, and then bum like just this heavy horn like it's so good it's so like impressive yeah that kill in particular was really fun to see too because i liked that kid's reaction i liked how people weren't really getting scared right away from seeing this because it had been so long since the idea of michael myers had existed in haddonfield um So I would have sworn really... that that the grandmother, that the grandkid and her boyfriend were going to be Michael Myers because they were tiptoeing around it so much. I'm like, oh, okay, it's just a gender swap, Barney and Clyde, because like they oh, were yeah. like really hiding it from the family for some. Oh reason. no, I figured I figured it was going to be like a gender swap, Bonnie and Clyde, or something like that. Um, oh, okay, because yeah, like, they're was just... very careful about it. <laughs> it was it was just really interesting to see. I really uh, just that type of that type of kill setup felt very organic it didn't feel forced it felt like this kid thought you know he was really in this person's yard he's kind of buzzed you know because he has been drinking already and he's carrying more beers with him he's not acting ridiculous or anything but with the way that that light sensor was happening i just love the way that movement was and then you see him as the shape really just in shadow uh the way it was silhouetting him when it came in and then it comes up again, and he's swiping the knife. He tries to escape that impale through the face. It's just, it's extremely brutal. It doesn't have that overly glossy feel that a lot of films in the late 90s and early 2000s had. Let's say, like, movies Very like true. 13 Ghosts, you know, that glossy studio feel. No. It's grainy, this, but not too yeah. gritty because, uh, yeah, like, I, I've seen again. We've seen glimpses of most Halloween movies in the past, and like, lest we lest we mention the Rob Zombie film until a later date, but uh, that yeah, was a bit well. too grimy from what I could tell. Uh, yeah, that, that's like, this, that's going a little too overboard as far as gritty grindhousey feel that I I just feel I just don't think was necessary. Um, exactly, to, this to was a perfect sort of blend of like modern digital look with like some oldie like type of filter color correction that made it look uh, a bit muted but still good like stylized wise um and i think kind of the best sort of thing so i'm gonna get back to a a bit of a like the problem that i had with this um and it's reflected in actually this uh fence kill that we that we can see here um there's we always see a lot of homages to the original and the like the rest of the canon of halloween which uh again this movie seems to go out of its way to both uh, honor and uh, take apart, which can also be can be very confusing and frustrating to somebody that like hasn't seen it or a wants to ignore it and wants to see something new. Um, but I think in the good aspects of where it wants to acknowledge the better parts of that uh, is when it's ve- it's almost too vague of when it homages it, and it's when that kid says, "Do you ever just want a girl that you just can't have?" And then it's like dead silence and then boom, he's right in his face. I'm like, okay, that's a great moment because already without having seen Halloween, I know exactly why he would have wanted to kill his sister. And we know exactly why he could have been driven by something like this. But it's just nothing said. Nothing is uh, like alluded to. There's no flashback, no nothing. It's just an idea and then met with silence that Michael Myers can only respond to with violence. That's a great moment and a great way to sort of crack open the idea of what Michael Myers can be. 
that being said, it's this movie is also very much in tone with the idea of the slasher movie and wanting to be the same and different at the same time. Uh, which when we get into the third act and kind of the showdown between Strode and Michael Myers, I was really kind of stretching with like uh, her logic and thinking with how she decided to confront Michael uh, as opposed to the way that she is billed as this uh, like doomsday prepared badass that we had right, before. Right. Um, which I think you would have to admit like, she kind of does one or two pretty dumb things leading up yeah, to Yeah, I, th I think uh, some of that is in order to pay homage to the original. You know, her, when she falls over the side of the balcony and then disappears, that is exactly what Michael did, you know, in the original. Oh, exactly. And that's a very, that's a very good turn. Like, I could and easily then, see well, that coming. And then, and then her coming out behind him in the shadow for the final attack, it's kind of the same thing he did to her. The fact that she got attacked so quickly and almost killed immediately, I was expecting when he punched through the door and had her. Right, and there seemed to be too many, like, false tells as to how she was actually going to confront him. Like, okay, everybody get into the, into the like, hidden cellar basement that's, like, yeah. fortified, and we're going to hide out in there. Okay, well, I'm going to go up and fight Michael, but you stay down here. Well, wait, no. That's why would you do that? Why would you do that? That's not you're completely safe right here. Yeah. Are you going to well, are you going to fight obviously him or not are you going to hide? He, he obviously not safe because uh about that, I guess I don't know. He looked down, so I'm expecting that there's scratches on that floor from that thing opening and closing so many times. Well, we all we know that he definitely knows somebody's down there when she shoots a bullet up from the ceiling, or uh, up well, from that's the, also that is very very true. Yeah, yeah, and so and I'm like, okay, why are you okay? Reveal your position immediately, just so you can get like a, a pot shot off, and then like have him hide, then come back out. And then scan the whole house, make sure that he's not there, and then like only to get attacked. And then like I, I so, but I really do wish that they had played a bit more to that uh, closet attack scene from the first one because they they did that like twice where she's like the one that's approaching uh, the closet. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be a good turn. But then, no. I like that they didn't go with that and you you didn't really expect it. And he's standing there, but the way he just pops out, it's just very cool the way it was blended in. Um, with the mannequins and the shadows and all that. And it was and it was shot fairly well. It's It seems to be too many, like, illogical moments in that conflict just for the sake of, oh, she turned it on him. She flipped it on so, him. So, kind of oh, a man, thing. I I think I, I really like the idea how she can quarantine off each room. When we find out how much she put into this house as far as making it a trap, essentially, the idea was it was really a trap, you know? Um, but what's also interesting, and you see this multiple times with her, is that she reacts immediately but doesn't think things through logically a lot of the time when she is talking with her family. She's suffering from PTSD and she has lived away from people for so long. I mean, they even talk about her life and, you know, two failed marriages and all this stuff uh, that's that's kind of destroyed her life and made her agoraphobic, um, for you know, and, and, and waiting for Michael to come back. So there's she's not this perfect, badass character. She is she has flaws. 
I mean, I still think she's a badass character, but she's not perfect. You know, she is flawed, and I find that to be a very interesting take to the character, uh, which normally films don't do with their heroines. They make them perfect. They have no flaws, or if they do, their flaws are minor. No, these are deep-rooted flaws that she's working through and issues that were uh, brought on by that attack 40 years ago. So I, I get that some stuff can be disjointed because... You know, he made her life disjointed. It uprooted everything that she knew um, and, and her feeling of safety throughout those past 40 years and destroyed her life. So I get it. Um, I do like the little turn at the end with Judy Greer seeming super afraid and, and freaking out, uh, but still remembering her training and, and using it as a ploy. I am also very happy that they decided not to kill any of the Strodes. Uh, yeah, no, that was actually a pretty good, a, a cool ending to have like all three of them just survive. I was um, expecting Judy Greer to, to uh, like, I was expecting her to get stabbed and killed at the end. Right. Um, or and Michael honestly, doing something I, and yeah. Yeah. And so I, I think when we come to the end of this, uh, I think the main sort of thing that I wanted to take away from it uh, was maybe even a sense of finality for the case of Laurie Strode. I mean, again, I haven't even like the, the arc of uh, from one to Halloween 2018 uh, is seemingly just this 40 year journey of this one character who has been traumatized and wants her catharsis and relief. Uh, uh, if, you, if you just go from 78 to 2018, if you include all the other films, no. Which this movie doesn't, so I won't. Like, that's, yeah, the, like, so, that's like, the reason, and, and so it, I'm not going to do yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it was other characters. Other characters followed in some of the later sequels that were not Laurie Strode. Exactly. But it, but in the case of this movie and in the case of yes, Halloween yes. in 1978, yes. this is Laurie Strode's story. And Correct. Absolutely. what I wanted to see was a bit of catharsis for her. Um, and I don't feel like this movie gave it to her. Really. You know what? It, it didn't. And that that's actually a little problematic because originally um, John Carpenter wanted this to be the end of the Halloween series in general. And that's what he, I guess, was under the impression of. It seems that that's not the case, that this was originally going to be a two-part film done back-to-back. They decided to make it one story. It was like a two-hour and 15-minute movie that they trimmed down to like an hour and 45. And now they're talking about doing a trilogy. I don't and I'm understand. Fuck, and I'm, I'm fucked off about that. I really I, am. I'm, a little, I'm see- a little upset about it, too, because I think this is a... To me, this would be a great way to end the series almost in the way it began. You know? Yeah, and I, I know that there's... I get the there's not the catharsis of, of that, you know, her her getting through this, but I feel like she has her family at the end, and that is what is important. It has triumphed over over evil end of story. But as we know, you know, this seventy six or seventy seven million dollar opening weekend and like a ninety one worldwide means sequel, sequel, sequel. Of course, <laughs> of course, of course. Because again, like I wanted this to be the end of Michael Myers, the catharsis that Laurie Strode deserved, and wrap it up in a nice little bow. And if you wanted to bring in a different type of Michael Myers to make some sort of conceit to the legacy of him or whatever, oh, fine. Make a sequel that, like man, that. But that... again, 
we mm-hmm. have him trapped in a in a room that is on fire and then he is no longer in the room that is on fire and i'm like god fucking yeah. damn it like clearly well, he lives clearly so, he's, so, he's silver escaped. shamrock man they also do like if they go with something different they actually reference silver shamrock in this too from halloween season of the witch um some kids are wearing that mask at some point so like they could go that route of like hey we're gonna bring in some other stuff and take out michael for a movie or two which would be i don't know if fans would go for that now um but yeah i mean we're probably we're probably getting michael back again in one way or another and that's the and that's the kind of the frustrating thing like all of the homages, all of the little winks and nods to the legacy of Halloween that this movie has, all it has to do is just set itself up for another franchise just to continue on. Like, it has, it, like, for a movie that wanted to be smart about its own mythology to set everything back and then just give little winks and nods to the things that people didn't really take as seriously, it seemed to take itself too seriously when it came to just making more of them. And that's the thing that, like, kind of really got my goat. I'm like, oh, so you just did all this shit to, like, make some more. And Here's not the thing, though. Really... To me, <clears throat> I, I, get, I get the issue with sequelitis. I understand it. This franchise has not felt fresh in, like, really almost 40 years. All right? So to be able to have a character, to me, he feels fresh again. He is more terrifying now than he has ever been. He is imposing. I feel that Michael Myers is now a real threat. He became a joke in in later films, as far as I was concerned. I see him now as truly a horror icon more than I ever have before. The problem with that is there's going to be a sequel because of it. No matter what. And part of <laughs> yeah. me wants one because I want to see more of Michael. I think the way that they go with this fire thing. Right. And and I'm, I think I'm that's not, kind yeah. of where I, I find my most sort of frustration with these uh, serialized and uh, iconic, uh, you know, uh, serial killer murderer movies where they will eventually become like a borderline parody of themselves where you, we make this like cool, interesting, great thing. And then eventually get carried away with it. And I can already see this movie getting carried yeah. away with it in its, in its future I mean, self because it didn't if take they're going the with, first if they're going seriously. with a, I mean, if they're going with a trilogy and they're sticking with, with Blumhouse and they're sticking with, uh, David Gordon Green and, you know, Danny McBride and and everybody who's been involved so far, I'm fine with them doing a a sequel. I mean, they obviously have a plan or an idea going into it. They they know where this story is going. I'm not going to judge it yet because I loved this movie. I was I was entertained the entire time. I had fun with it. I liked the stories. I liked the little twists and turns. I liked that it had some layers to it. It created more of a feel of the town for me um, where I want to see more of what has happened next. So I, I can understand not, you know, sequelitis and not liking this. To me, it's a revitalization of a franchise that had been beaten into the ground time and time again. Mm-hmm. And for me, um, this was a movie that was very in touch with its pedigree while trying to erase the things that it didn't want to talk about, it still seemed to introduce some things that were almost just as inconsistent as the things that it wanted to forget. 
and I think that was kind of the most the most frustrating thing about it. Uh, that was the uh, the things that like it, it didn't truly wipe the slate clean, and that's kind of what I really wanted because as somebody that uh, to to me the the Halloween mythos is almost in, imparsable, uh, like from from the beginning and then almost a- afterwards. It's a uh, it's in, it's kind of frustrating to see a movie that kind of like it's only for the fans that have seen all of them in a weird way. Like if you have seen all of them, you will get the most out of this movie. If you've seen one, you might not. Yeah, um, I think, that, I think I, that's I, kind of where I, my frustrations I lie. I'm totally perfect with that. I think that's great. I think this should be a movie where if you've been a fan of this franchise forever, you're going to get stuff that other people won't. Dude, this is no different than a Marvel film that pays homage to the stuff that came before it. You know, like, except oh, hey, this is you, a nod, this is a nod to some... You, co- <laughs> yes, but it wants you to forget all of Phase 2 and just remember Phase 1. Like, forget. Well, oh, we're just going to skip right to Infinity War, but forget Phase 2. You know how convoluted the whole Michael Myers thing had gotten by the end of it? It was ridiculous. Oh. All right, it was absurd. Oh, yeah, I'd imagine so, it's absurd. And, and I, I hated where they went with it. I think doing this was great, and I think doing subtle nods to it without hitting you in the face with it was a great way of, of approaching it. It's a great happy medium for fans of the franchise for years and people who have just jumped into it for the first time. It's nothing that's going to change lives when you're looking at it and go, oh my gosh, there's this magic revelation. I'm interested in seeing what they do then with this second and third. Are they going to pull from some characters from the past and kind of reintroduce them in this new timeline? Like, this this opens up a lot of stuff that I think fans of the franchise in general are excited to see. And, and I'm, <clears throat> you know, I've never been a huge Halloween franchise fan. You know, I, I'm a very big fan of the first few. I, I like one, two, and I really actually like Season of the Witch, even though it doesn't involve Michael Myers at all. Um, but this one made me really excited to see where the franchise is headed. Well, I, um, I, I would only disagree to the extent that I kind of wish that this was a a uh, cathartic conclusion to a franchise that was troubled by its past and uh, kind of wanted to put a good bow on the end of it. And, uh, and instead it sort of went for, uh, went for more. And uh, that's where I was only slightly disappointed. Other than that, there are some very great moments and definitely worth seeing. Uh, I would still recommend this for fans of the franchise for sure. Um, even if you haven't seen it, I would still recommend it because there are still very good things. I really need to hammer home the score. This is probably one of my favorite scores of any movie this year. It's incredible. Uh, but, uh, I think with that, uh, would be a good point to, uh, to wrap it up here. Um, so obviously you would recommend it. Um, what do we have in the pipeline next week, Rob? Uh, so we're going to have fun with this next one um cabin in the woods cabin in the woods oh yeah yes. man oh this one's a blast I love oh it's these. so good so good sat on the shelf for way too many years before it finally saw the light of day um good thing it did because it is <laughs> it is a whole lot of fun this it's it's uh, a blast it's, it's, 
it's a real treat. Uh, I com- I cannot wait to actually talk about this. I've I've been looking forward to rewatching this, and uh, this is gonna be a good time to uh, round out the week. So. Thank you again so much for listening. We have been Oh the Horrorcast. You could find us on social medias, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all those things. Uh, you can email us at ohthehorrorcast at gmail.com. You are listening to this wherever you get your podcasts. We're all there. Feel free to leave us a review if you are so inclined. And thank you guys so much for listening and for the support. Until next time, I'm Steve Allman. And I'm Rob Holmes. Thanks so much, everybody. Look at me, Damien. It's all for you. Now, it is time to keep your appointment with the Wicker Man. When there's no more room in hell, the dead will.